0: Welcome to the latest FT Advisor in Focus podcast with me, Simni Kuriaku, Senior Editor for FT Advisor. Imagine you have created the perfect financial plan for your clients. It helps them meet their goals as well as providing a cushion just in case and their investments are firmly on track to achieve their ambitions. Then suddenly their plans change. Sounds familiar? It's what hundreds if not thousands of financial advisors have been dealing with over the past two years as the pandemic has forced many people into changing their minds. Well, obviously that's allowed, but perhaps they've decided they won't retire early after all. Or perhaps your clients have decided they do want to retire sooner than they thought. Perhaps they're not going to set up that business or perhaps others have decided they're going to become entrepreneurs during lockdown. Perhaps some wanted to leave an inheritance for their children, but then have changed their mind and decided to give it all away while they're still alive. So what happens when clients change their minds? How should investment portfolios be structured to help cope with some of these big life-changing decisions? How can investors ride out the sort of pandemic-induced volatility that we've seen without being spooked? And can technology help provide the answer? Here to discuss these questions and more are three specialists on our panel. Let's welcome them. Simon Stickney, Chief Executive of Digital Investment Specialist Collider. Jessica Ayres, Financial Consultant for Timothy James and Partners. And Tony Stenning, Chief Executive of Atlantic House Investments. Welcome all. Hello. Tony, let's start with you. You know, we've, we've heard the phrase one and done, uh, suggesting that once a plan is in place, that's it, people can relax. How have the past two years turned this wisdom on its head?
1: Hi everyone. I think um, the last the last couple of years has, it's been a very interesting time. I didn't use, haven't used that kind of adjective but since the sort of the great the great financial crisis it's interesting. and what that's meant is that from an investment perspective clearly lots of investments that people have used for many years more than just the last two years um, the assumptions around them have changed quite a bit not just because of the last two years but there's been a whole process that's been uh, ongoing for the last uh, decade and more. So the old 60-40 portfolio, for instance, which would and get it. Why people have used that for many years, because you want to buy into the long term growth aspects of the economy, GDP growth. You can take advantage of that through an equity investment and then typically you could get some diversification elsewhere that would help you be able to set a broad sort of strategy and allow you to sort of stay on that track for quite a long time. But a number of those assumptions have just changed over the last our last few years you know, have equities have continued to deliver the sort of the longer term growth for a whole raft of reasons, which we can probably debate or not today um, from, from a central bank perspective, but also, you know, in terms of the money that they've been putting into the economy. But also when you look at the what, what, the, what the bonds, what the 40 has been trying to produce for for the portfolio, that's also the return profile, the, correl- the correlations, as we would call it, the ability to have diversification for clients has really become, just really difficult for people to manage. So I think that's that's something that, w- that has definitely sort of changed, not necessarily just in the last two years, but it's been changing for a while for a whole raft of reasons that we, we know about. And I think there is this, a, a way that you can engage with traditional types of investments if you think about them through a different lens, about why are you using equities? Not I'm trying to outperform some particular benchmark per se, but why am I using them for my portfolio? What am I trying to solve for? And how can I use some of these other investments to help me get a more certainty uh, in terms of the outcome that I can get?
0: And certainly, I, I know, Simon, you've been doing um, research looking at the volatility. Um, do you think people have just suddenly become a little bit more aware of it? Had they sort of forgotten how volatile markets can be?
2: No, I don't think they've forgotten. I think <laughs> I think it's a function of the amount of intervention we've had where you've had a 12 year bull market where every time there's been any kind of wobble, you've had some level of intervention and stimulus step in to support that. And I think it creates a level of confidence where you can accept that volatility. It's not you're pretending that it doesn't exist, but you perhaps have a slightly more capacity to accept it because you believe that every time there's a further wobble, that there will be more intervention and more stimulus. And I think back to what Tony was saying, we're talking about an event um, you know, on a magnitude that we haven't seen since really World War Two, where it hasn't something that has affected such a wide and broad spectrum of individuals globally. We just have never seen that. And I think that creates a very natural inflection point in terms of the the plan for individual investors. For example, with these inflections, Tony just mentioned one of them, but also in addition to you know the great resignation, for example, people kind of flipping it on their heads. They've been supported through this and they're taking the opportunity to step back and reassess. Should I start that business? Should I not start that business? Should I change jobs? Should I do something else? I think all those things from an advice perspective, you know, create a lot of uncertainty perhaps around the current plan. And it needs you to go back and revisit that and look at what does that really mean? I'm going to earn less. I'm going to earn more. I'm going to take more risk or less risk. What does that what does that actually mean? And I think that takes us all back to, you know, you need a good plan, but that plan ultimately needs to be revisited. And it's the same for the investment strategy. You know, have you been achieving what's required? Have you achieved too much? Have you achieved too little? And again, in relation to the plan, if that's changing because of an inflection point, therefore, does the investment strategy or approach also need to a change to reflect the type of investor you are now going forward?
0: Jessica, obviously, your your clients will have been uh, coming to you. And I'm sure many of them have been quite um, relaxed, trusting that you know what you're doing and and that they're not scared. But um, I'm sure you'll have seen quite a lot of change or tweaks in portfolios over the past two years, haven't you? Absolutely. I mean, when
3: did we ever think we would have been told we could only go out once a day or that our businesses would have been shut down or we would become teachers, you know, homeschooling? I mean, it's been such a change for people and we've had to adapt portfolios. People have had to turn their pension contributions off. People have had to defer their VAT payments. All these changes have really affected people. And and therefore we've just had to be quite adaptive with clients and really hold their hands. I think that's that's the key: hold their hands, reassure them, and adapt the plans, as Simon said.
0: And uh, Jessica, have you seen any clients make sort of very big or very different sort of investment decisions over the, the the
3: past two years? Yeah, I have. I mean, when the markets crashed in March, I mean, huge amounts of money went into the markets. So that that's. Educated clients who understand when to invest and, and how markets behave. I think what we're seeing now is we're moving from a period where we've been almost worried about deflationary pressures. And now we've got this, you know, inflation is re- it's rearing its head. And it's just like what Tony said, going back to that typical portfolio, that 60 40, possibly that's not going to work anymore in its normal structure or the structure we knew. And now we need to really sort of be looking at different types of investments and educating clients along the way so they understand.
0: So, yeah, absolutely. Tony, do you think that uh, buy and hold just can't work for investors?
1: I, I just think the world's changed so much, as Jessica was saying, I was going to pick up on what Simon and Jessica were saying there, that, you know, the ability to hold the hand of the client for longer is so important now because there are so many things that could affect that you know what is volatility anymore? What is the risk that you're really looking at? And for for an for an investor that's trying to make that long-term decision to put money into the market, you know, is it? Re- are you really trying to beat the footsie um, when you invest, or are you looking to achieve what equities have tended to deliver for you, which is that seven to eight percent over the long term? And is there a way that you can do that in, with a bit more certainty? And enables the advisor to hold the hand of that client on that journey. Because myself included, I've never met someone that's invested to beat a particular benchmark. They've invested to achieve a particular goal. And that goal could be retirement, it could be some other, it could be a shorter term thing that I'm I'm saving for for to for, for my grandchildren my children that I, I want to, to get leave some sort of pot outside of my 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 retirement um over the longer term. But there's, there's a whole raft of reasons why people invest. So that, that concept of I think, as, as you just heard from Jessica and some you know, the one and done that I've set and I've never reset, there are, there are events that are occurring with increasing frequency, which we've as a kind of investing cohort have been somehow um, inculcated from because of this huge flooding of liquidity that's come in. And when that comfort blanket gradually gets re- removed, uh, then I think, you know, we're going to see the volatility we've seen in the last couple of years. I mean, that's not going away any time soon. That, that is going to be around for, as it always has been, um, events occur, geopolitical events, force, but, but without that inexorable rise, markets always go up, right, bottom left, top right. That's what we do. Well, they can over time. It's about how can we hold the hand of the client to ensure that we're delivering the outcome that they really wanted.
0: Yeah, and Tony, what you're sort of touching on there as well, like this comfort blanket, it it speaks very much to people's behaviour and how people want to act and interact on a sort of a personal level, perhaps with markets or their investments or their holdings. Um, But perhaps this is where perhaps people ought to be also including quant or looking at um, some sort of tech-based or tech-driven solutions to almost take the emotion out of portfolios. And Simon, how do you sort of see quant working you know people can people trust the uh, methodologies there and maybe take some of their behavioral biases out of um out of investing and and put it in the hands of technology yeah i think
2: that's absolutely right i think the, the the key is having a disciplined rigorous process that can adapt to those condition changes and technology is a great way to solve that as you rightly point out very dispassionate it doesn't care about you know emotions and things like that. The key to it, in terms of wider adoption, is transparency. So black box algorithmic trading is is a very difficult thing to convince the masses to buy into because we can't explain to you why it did or didn't make a decision. So we specialize in in glass box approaches, and so we build things that are, are totally look through transparent. So even though we're using machine learning um, and various other Complex mathematical techniques to, to originate strategies. We're able to actually show you all the way through to what data, what maths, what code made those decisions. So we can give customers the comfort that they can actually see exactly what made and drove a decision. And I think that's really the key at this stage of use of technology and quantum in this way. Uh, it's about the transparency you can create around it, so customers can have the, the confidence in it. But I think it's also quite interesting what you were saying moments ago about about Of risk-taking in these conditions. I think that if you actually generalise overall, because as I was saying a moment ago about how we've obviously all been bailed out continuously over the last 12 years, I would generalise actually and say that investors are generally taking increasingly larger and larger risks in the market, whether passively or actively, whether that's passively by sitting there with a 60-40, and the risks are just building up and building up and building up in behind it, or whether actively the rise of DIY traders at home during COVID, the rise of crypto investing, NFTs, these are all kind of interesting behavioral dynamics. And you see the rise of an increased serious volume of retail trading going on in markets as well at this stage. All the fear of missing out kind of behavioral biases are kicking in. And also the greed factor. Um, People trying to get rich quick. And so there's a genuine kind of appetite for more risk without perhaps the the true understanding of the statistical aspects of really what the downside is to taking that kind of risk. And it's a classic kind of bull market cycle kind of behavior where investors reach that point where, yeah, every time anything goes wrong, central banks, the government they're going to intervene and bail us out and you absolutely saw that in in March 2020 um, with a lot of investors frankly in a lot of strategies from the defensive end upwards getting absolutely toasted in the drawdown and ultimately the only reason they got their money back and are where they are today at all time highs is because of the intervention had there not been that intervention we would probably be looking at you know serious wealth destruction ACA, another 2008, and frankly, probably even beyond without that intervention. So it's it's fascinating to look at the behavioural traits of investors and, and the extra risk they're prepared to take for actually not necessarily that much extra gain.
0: Yeah, and certainly not that much extra cushion if you really um, delve into it. Now, Jester, I could see you nodding at pretty much everything Simon was, was, was saying there. And it's true, isn't it? People have wanted this get rich quick, but they don't realise that can sometimes lead to get poor even quicker. I like to try and get rich slowly, so it's going to take me a long time. But Jessica, what have your clients been doing and and, and what have you been trying to reassure them?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's I I said it before, but it's an education process. So people, that buy and hold worked during the last sort of cycle, but it was very different. It was a forced environment. It wasn't a normal cyclical downturn. And therefore, it's that point where you're talking to people and you're saying as Simon said, unprecedented government stimulus. It was just unbelievable globally, not just the UK. So markets did recover. So it's just encouraging people not to be complacent. I'm always happy for clients to take a punt themselves. I've got lots of clients where I'm helping them with maybe a more stable portfolio <laughs> and then they're having their little punt whether it's cryptocurrencies whether it's all sorts of different types of investments lots of my clients will run passives alongside what i do you know absolutely fine just as long as they understand those risks so it's just going through market behavior over the last oh, i don't know since the 80s showing the crashes seeing seeing the rises educating them on what's the market correction as opposed to these huge, big events. But it's just, don't be complacent. Just risk the money you can afford to risk. I think that's the key.
0: Absolutely. Uh, Tony, can I bring you in here?
1: Yeah, look, I, I just want to pick up on a couple of points that both both uh, both Jessica and Simon have said here. I mean, I, I, I would say this, wouldn't I, um, being CEO of a derivative company, but I think here, here this is where we can also, how technology and that quant bit comes in. This is about... In effect, only derivatives are very scary things. They can be, and if they're used incorrectly, a bit like we were saying about the the quantity piece earlier, if you don't understand them, they can be very destructive to your wealth. However, you can remove all kinds of sort of emotion from your investment process here. You've just got simple contracts. If X happens, Y happens. Provided you have done your counterparty analysis, correct, it enables you to really extract what are you trying to invest. So if I think of our... A defined returns fund, for instance, which is an equity based. you are taking on equity risk. Point one, anyone who invests in that, the underlying derivatives, we use equities. You can't get away from the equity risk. You have equity risk, short-term equity risk. But what are you trying to do? Well, we've stacked all of the, we're sitting the same side of the table as the investor, and we've stacked all of the probabilities in the favor of the investor so that in every single market environment, other and we're really open about this, other than a depression, a gr- like, like Japan in the 90s, even the Great Depression from the 30s, you will secure seven to 8% from your investments, the, the long-term returns from, de- from developed markets. Uh, and, and it's about thinking about it in a different perspective. It doesn't, what you won't get necessarily from our fund is up 30, um, in any given that But if you are trying to do that, as Jessica was saying, you can put, invest in a different way, perhaps alongside some of the strategies you're putting in place to, to secure your goal that you're trying to do. But provided you've got some of these very Simple, and we try to articulate it in a very simple way, rather than yes. The, to, as Simon was saying, the maths is really important. You know, the Greeks are really important to understand from a derivative perspective. About, but you don't start there. Start with what investors are trying to solve for. And um, for us, it's about helping to educate people how you can use these a bit more broadly in your portfolio to help you secure that long-term goal that you're investing for.
0: So, so let's let, let's assume that investors are all very sensible and that uh, they listen to everything that you guys are saying. And they say, right, I'll get my financial advisor to look into using derivatives. We'll look at some quant strategies to help take the emotion out of it. We'll create our investment plan and investment plan helps to mitigate the vagaries on the both crazy upside and the terrible downside. What about the clients themselves? I mean, you know, there's divorce, there's children, there's unexpected children, there's death, there's critical illness. There's all these things that the clients themselves can end up completely throwing a, an investment plan out of whack just because of life happens, we're all humans. Jessica, how often do you have to review a, a client's brilliant investment portfolio that you've put in place and it's robust and it's amazing, and then the clients go off and do something like set up a ski resort company and decide what they're doing for life? <laughs>
3: Um, well, a financial plan, and investment portfolio, the rule of thumb is it's every year at least. And I think everyone would agree with that. You need to revisit plans every year. But I've spent the last six months talking to clients who have changed their plans because of what's just happened. I've had people who have brought forward retirement by five years. They've deferred retirement because they're flexible now. You know, they can work from home and they quite like working. The big move out of London Um, you know, scrabbling around thinking they don't want to sell their London home because prices are a bit, you know, not that buoyant. So we're going to have to raise additional finance. You know, these are the kind of conversations we are having with our clients and you need to fill the need. But when it comes to your investment portfolios, when you set them up, you have to always bear in mind that human nature, we change our plans, we get divorced, we get married, we have children, unfortunately we get sick you know all these kind of things so it's just discussing that right at the outset you know, do you need life assurance at least to pay off that big mortgage that you think you've got 20 years to repay these kind of things but I think everyone would agree the pandemic has made lots of us reevaluate where we live where we work what our lifestyle is um and therefore I think it's something we're all talking about at the moment
0: so, sticking to Jessica, just just for a few minutes, like if if we're creating a long-term investment plan for a client, what does long-term mean? And like we know sometimes for fund managers, long-term can mean about three three to five years. But um, is is that what what, what we're looking yeah. at? I, I know Tony and Simon are laughing. So I'm going to come and pick on you guys in a second. But <laughs> just hear
3: investment strategy. Yeah, you know, long-term. They do say yeah, you know, it needs to be three to five, five plus years. But when you're actually talking about someone's life, long term is their life, you know, and you hope that's going to be a very long time. So I always say, I always plan things in five year chunks. What are your short term plans? Let's fulfill these. We're going to invest accordingly. You'll have a pot like the pension pot, which will be till they're 57 plus. But then you'll have their shorter term investments, their cash emergency funds, anything that's going to create a buffer when things get tough. We always talk about cash being a drag, but everyone was very happy to have cash in 2020. Lots of people you know, were deferring, as I said, their their tax bills, etc. To, to make sure they still had that cash because we didn't know how long businesses were going to be locked down for. So... A uh, plan is for life. Investment strategy would just be sort of adapted to fit around it. I think.
0: Yeah, yeah. You, you say cash. Um, cash was doing very well in 2020. Well, I think some investment managers have also found the same because I was looking at some figures from the Investment Association. Some fund managers are running 25, <laughs> 25% of, of, of holdings in cash. Mm. So maybe that's a sign. There's might there might be some more pain in the markets. Tony can, can I come to you?
1: I think we've we we talked about this isn't it I mean it's about how can you bring in some more predictability for for clients, which is kind of weird. How can you do that from these very unpredictable events, life events? Because as we just, you may get ill, weren't expecting to get ill. You may have a, you said yourself soon, you may have an unexpected but but delightful new child. So you, you hadn't planned for that. So um, things can and they absolutely will change. So how can you build some more predictability into your investments to help you deliver on some of these you know you have as jesse will what well, i'm sure to have have those kind of they call them rainy day kind of pots with your clients right but they're for, because you just don't know when the rainy day and what what is it? it could be a really sunny day actually for some of the reasons that we've said but it's actually i need to use some of those pots that i've i've put about and how can you build that predictability in and that's that's what we try and do that's what we're trying to do with with our, our clients with our with the wealth managers, the advisors that are helping and, and holding that end client's hand, I, you know, we would we'll provide you with a, because of the maths, we get back to Simon saying earlier, we can use maths and the models to predict exactly what will happen to our funds in certain market environments. I don't know whether that market environment's going to happen. None of us do. But if it does, this is what should happen from, from these types of investments, mm-hmm. which I think is unique, actually, because otherwise, you know, when, if my, you don't know if markets may fall or not for all the reasons that we've heard earlier. Because central banks may come in and and, and put liquidity in, so markets don't fall as much as you were expecting when you have a global pandemic event, or they may not, or and you may get something that comes from left field that makes markets really um, go go the wrong way because they were having some kind of temp. I know we're looking in the. In the sort of the abstract now about the markets, as if the market provides, but we all know what we mean. I people don't like what a particular, um, let's say, uh, government or um, central bank is doing. So we had temper tantrums, um, taper tantrums, sorry, temper tantrums. Uh, we're back to yeah, the- maybe temper
0: tantrums. as well, we <laughs> Yeah, you know, that's the
1: children. But uh, the uh, t- t- you know those taper tantrums or something like that um, that may that may create a, an environment that was unexpected. But how can you look through that, use time? And um, we've all been talking about here, it's time, time in the market, as um, we used to say, not timing the market. So can you get use time to your advantage and get more predictability into your underlying investment thesis to help you deliver that end goal, whatever that goal is? Um, and that goal may change for all the reasons we just talked about.
0: I and mean, Presumably, Tony, again, this is where it... Um... So this sort is of maybe where I'll come back to Simon because there's a way of sort of taking using that behavioral bias management tools, using some of these structures to help take some of the real emotion out of the actual investment process to sort of help balance the client's own very emotional, very human lifestyle, can't it? But Simon, how, how, uh, how, how, do, how do your behavioral models? work to kind of manage that that process and take the actual the emotion out of the money aspect
2: it comes down to a couple of things i I think i'd just like to start with saying i think the key to this is is amazing planning and structuring by the financial advisor i think exactly as jessica was pointing out to have a single client but with multiple pots of money from the short term you know naught to three years to the three to five year money to the ten plus year money By having defined outcomes around the stages and the types of pots of money there are, I think really actually informs how you can devise investment strategies to suit those different pots, because there isn't a silver bullet in investing. There isn't just a one size fits all. There isn't some kind of crazy balance portfolio that will just give you everything in any single market condition. But if the planning has this holistic approach to designing the right objectives and the right time horizons around the client's risk appetite, then the, that can absolutely inform how investment strategies can be designed to deliver with a high level of confidence, certain outcomes. For example, in the in the near term, minimum variance portfolios with almost decumulation style portfolios through to wealth preservation in the medium term where you're smoothing out the dips and kind of not getting all the upside through to the longer term money, which is more accumulation where you can absorb all that market risk. So a good holistic planner will be able to create building blocks and investment strategies from these building blocks. And a single client might own one two or even three of these different investment strategies inside their overall plan so i think great planning is is essential to to getting this right that makes obviously then designing investment strategies that are disciplined and robust and deliver those outcomes much easier so of course back to the behavioral bit Obviously, by having really strong outcome definitions, then everyone knows black and white, what good and bad looks like. So that takes not only the emotion out of what the strategy is trying to deliver, but also from the investors, investor's perspective, when you sit down and review it, it's very clear and obvious whether you have or haven't achieved the objective. The second part of it is that, the way that the technology has evolved in this space now, these systems are actually able to evolve themselves and actually deliver all three of those strategy components on their own and adapt and switch between them based on a client's objectives. And those can obviously change through time. But the the machines have reached that point now where we can actually adapt and adjust strategies um, without having any human intervention in, based on how market conditions shift Um, about how investors preferences might change, and about where the money sits across different strategy elements.
0: That's really key. And it's sort of obviously, it's going to be pleasing to all of our our readers to hear that it is, you know, this is where good professional financial advice comes in. And it it is so important for people to actually seek out good professional financial advice, because you know, you need someone to, to hold your hand through this. But I'm going to have to start wrapping up the the podcast. But I'd like to ask each of you one key takeaway. I know you said, Simon, there's no silver bullet, but uh, let's pretend pretend each of you has one. One key takeaway from each of you for advisors to sort of encourage clients who maybe think their life or lifestyle has completely been turned on its head over the past two years. Simon, what would you sort of encourage
2: them to, to do? Communication, I think, with the advisor. I think you know, advisors aren't psychic. Investment strategies can't read anyone's mind either. So I think great communication is essential between the elements in the in the value chain. So between the end investor, between the advisor, between the advisor and the investment strategy, the communication between those elements is absolutely essential to ultimately delivering the outcomes that the investor
1: wants, and that is the, the aim of the game.
0: Thank you very much, Tony.
1: Thank you, Simon. I was going to say that I'm <laughs> pretty similar. Pretty similar points, actually. Um, the, being that trusted advisor, um, uh, which many are already, but holding that hand of the client, the things that we've been talking about today, how can you deliver some more predictability in terms of what, it, what the, the actual the element, the, the thing that wiggles around a lot, <laughs> the investment piece that is going to deliver that, um, that outcome for you? How can you provide some more predictability around that and, and hold the hand of the client for longer? That's the key key status uh, for anyone. That, uh, and as an, as an asset manager, how do we help um, advisors do that? Um, and because otherwise, investors are going to make some decisions probably at the wrong time for them um, because they will not then for, you know, we said cash is king in 2020, but that might mean that you can't meet your goal that you were trying to achieve in 2035 because you've sat on a huge amount of cash for too long.
0: Indeed. So communication, handholding, it's all very relationship building. Uh, Jessica, last but not, certainly not least. Well, I was going to say all
3: that, but I would just say keeping it simple don't, and don't be complacent. Sometimes when you're sitting with a client, you have to help them block all the noise out. They are bombarded with articles, statistics, do this, don't do that. I would just say back to Simon's communication, just keep it simple. Don't be complacent and make sure that you have a good, trusted group of professionals around you, accountants, solicitors, advisors, investment specialists.
0: Fantastic. Well, that is sadly all we've got time for. But Jessica, Tony and Simon, thank you very much for joining the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. And thanks to all of you for listening. Until next time, take care. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a
3: chatbot maybe your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance.